Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Jesus, thank you for our salvation. Lord, may we never get tired of the fact that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life that we, as your children, are going to be with you forever. Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us sight to see you and ears to hear you and faith to believe in you. And we pray this morning as we go through your word that we would be different. You would change us. You would free us. And you would give us great joy. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. Today, at least part of the passage, is I would think, this is just Joe Ryer's thoughts, uh, probably the most quoted Bible verse by non-Christians. So you think of maybe the top three memorable Bible verses, John 3.16 being one, and then we got our Gold's Gym one, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which has nothing to do with weights, which we've talked about before. Um, And then you have some variation of this one, uh, which is... Can, can be paraphrased through the following descriptions. Don't judge me. Who made you the judge of me? Or you're not my judge. So some variation of that verse you may have heard, and it actually comes from Matthew chapter 7. But usually one is quoted by Christians and non-Christians alike. This, this often can be a favorite teenage verse as well. Uh, I think it was probably the first one that came out of my mouth before I was a Christian as a teenager. You're not my judge. And then parent responds, yes, I am. <laughs> and my dad's watching online, so hopefully I made you smile, Dad. Um, but here's the thing. With all Bible verses, we want to read them in context. So the immediate context The broader context, so in our case, the immediate context is what surrounds Matthew 7, 1 through 6. And then we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, starts in chapter 5, ends at the end of chapter 7. And then we look at the book of Matthew as a whole, then we look at the New Testament, then we look at the entirety of the Bible. And so when we consider all those things, then we can properly understand, interpret, and apply Uh, this really important section of scripture that helps us to think through what what does it mean to not judge in a critical, hypocritical way and how how do we rightly help one another when we've gone outside of the bounds of God's will and God's law. So that's where we're heading today. We're going to look at Matthew 7, 1 through 6 and you can... Listen as I read. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You 
hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. That's a confusing verse. We'll get to it here at the end. But here's the question. What what is Jesus saying and not saying in this passage? What is Jesus saying to his original disciples? And what is he saying to us? Is Jesus saying that we should never correct anyone who is in rebellion against the Lord and his word? Is it wrong to correct somebody who is living in sin? Is it wrong to share what God's word says about those situations? Is it wrong to help a friend when they are completely turning their back on Jesus and going off the rails? Is that that judgment if you bring uh, gentle, loving correction to them? Are parents not allowed to correct their children or their teenagers? Are teenagers not allowed to point out to their mom or dad when they're being harsh or speaking in anger? All these questions and more will be answered in today's passage. And like I said, that the context is the Sermon on the Mount. So if you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount or haven't read it for a while, if you read the entirety of it, so it's chapter 5 of Matthew through chapter 7, and you honestly listen and evaluate yourself as you do it, you'll see there's no room for pride. You also see that Jesus addresses a lot of different issues that we can all struggle with. And so he's correcting real behavior. So it can't be that he means we should never address any kind of behavioral issues among God's people. What he's going after, and we'll see this by the illustration that he makes, is he's saying do not in a critical, sinful, judgmental, rash, harsh way judge people. It's this proud, self-righteous judgment that he's concerned about, especially for those who are his disciples. Let me give you an example of a situation that I came upon um, a week or two ago. I was riding my bicycle on the Hoodlebug Trail. I was almost at Sailor Park where the Ghost Town Trail begins. And it was evening, daylight but evening. And you know I, I was the only one around. Come up on two teenage guys smoking weed, smoking marijuana on the trail. They were surprised to see me. And um, the question is, what, what happens when you have those interactions? Do you um, condemn all teenagers in the world at that moment? What's wrong with youth today? They're all terrible and, and wicked. Do you um, think they should have a job? Like, what comes to mind? And it doesn't mean that they're, what they're doing is right, but I think a heart disposition in those moments tells a lot about our relationship with the Lord and our understanding of the gospel. Now, you know, I was a little surprised. They were surprised to see me. I was surprised to see them. And um, fortunately, my heart towards them was not a critical judgmental way. It was a clear remembrance of what I was like as a 16, 17, 18, and 19-year-old. And, and it very easily could have been me being the teenager on the scooter and some older guy Um, coming up upon me. And and the point is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and he wants us to have compassion towards those who are enslaved to all sorts of sins. 
That doesn't mean you don't address behavior. That doesn't mean what they're doing is right. But it does mean that the disposition of our heart should be one moved with compassion and not critical, sinful judgment. As you can imagine, they weren't looking to hang out with me. Um, so they, they kind of moseyed on pretty quick. But I was able to pray for them and pray, Lord, I remember what I was like. I remember the lostness that I felt when I was enslaved to drugs and alcohol and all that came with that. And I remember the hope of the gospel that set me free. And so, Lord, I pray for these young men. I pray they would experience that. And I hope you pray for them too. So he's concerned about critical judgment, which brings us to point one. Disciples of Jesus must not critically judge others. Must not critically, sinfully, self-righteously judge others. Look at verse one and two again. Judge not in a critical way that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you will you measure, you'll be, it will be measured to you. In other words, if we are harsh and critical and arrogant and self-righteous, think about that. That's not how you want somebody to relate to you. That's not the standard by which you want to be measured. No, we, we need mercy. We need grace. If this morning I listened to um, the Sermon on the Mount on the ESV website where you can just hit play and a voice reads to you and I listen to the whole thing. If you listen to that whole thing or read the whole sermon and consider it in its entirety, there's no room for arrogance. There's no room for pride. Lord, you have given us mercy and we're to extend mercy. Now that doesn't mean it's a free pass to tell people to do whatever they want. And we'll, we'll see that in a little while. But the point is we should not be critical, judgmental. And, and keep in mind when the original disciples heard this and the larger crowd heard this sermon, they didn't, they didn't hear it like we're hearing it. Each week we're taking a little section and talking about it and considering it. They heard the whole thing. Probably by the end, you could have heard crickets just chirping because Jesus just kept going one thing after another, after another, after another. If you were here last week, Kay, Kay talked a lot about money and seeking the Lord for first and not living for provision, not being anxious about those things. And so it was like subject after subject, Jesus addressed. And that would have had a humbling effect. So, the call is to be humble. We are recipients of mercy. We're to extend mercy. And to lovingly help others. To address others. So this is where I say we want to consider the context, the Sermon on the Mount. We want to consider the whole book of Matthew. We want to consider the New Testament and then the whole of the Bible. So consider this verse, for example, in Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So if you have a brother or sister, Christian sister, that is in sin, maybe it's directly against you, or even brought more broadly, they've, they've done something that, that you think needs some gentle correction. We're to go. It's, it's how we go. So if you've ever been corrected by a self-righteous, arrogant person. It doesn't mean what they're saying isn't true necessarily, but boy is it hard to receive. 
Because it, it doesn't feel like they have affection for you. It doesn't feel like they want to help you. It feels like they want to bring the hammer and condemn you. The opposite is also true. If you've ever been corrected by someone who loves you and has gentleness as they're bringing it to you, it's a totally different experience. Unfortunately, I've been on the receiving end of, or fortunately, uh, it just doesn't feel good in the moment, of, of many of those things, both in my, my household, um, by Mary, by my kids, um, but also um, with, with our fellow pastors as well. So just recently, we had a pastor's meeting, uh, and um, I can have a tendency to talk too much at those pastor's meetings. And so the next day, gentle Dave Marshall, um, we were talking through things, and he just brought to my attention, he said, you know, when so-and-so was talking, you, you, kept, you were cutting them off. You weren't, you weren't listening to them. And so it was a gentle correction. And my response was, you know what? I think you're absolutely right. And that's an area that's a, a, a spot I'm trying to grow in. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Now, I haven't always responded that way. And for whatever reason, you know, Dave is different than Mary at times. <laughs> like it's sometimes easier to respond to the fellow pastor than your wife or your kids. Um, still growing in that area. But the, the point is, why was he bringing that to my attention? Was it because he was arrogant and he wanted to bring the hammer? No. He wanted to genuinely help me and care for the other guys. That's a wonderful thing. Galatians 6 says this, Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So the issue isn't, is it, should we ever help people or correct them? It's how we do it. What's the spirit? What's the heart behind it? It's kind of like, um, no, don't say names to the people sitting beside you, but everybody probably has had a teacher somewhere in elementary school or high school or in college where you thought, I don't think they like kids. I don't think they like elementary students. I don't think they like high school students. I don't think they like college. I'm not sure how they got here. Somehow they're here. And so it's, doesn't mean that they don't know their subject, but they're far less effective than somebody who knows their subject and actually loves the people that they're trying to help and instruct. It's a total difference. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. So verse one again, judge not lest that you not be judged. For if the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. If you're familiar at all with the New Testament, you'll know that there was a group of people called the Pharisees and another group called the Sadducees, they were critical, self-righteous judges. They were absolutely blind to their own rebellion and need for a Savior, for Jesus, the Messiah. And they made really quick judgments on Jesus, on his disciples, and on the broader crowd of people that show up in the New Testament. And what's sad is they, they couldn't even rejoice when a blind man was healed or somebody's leprosy was restored or a paralytic could walk because they were so bound with this critical legalistic judgment. I don't know if you've thought about this. This is one of the things that we've tried to teach our children over the years is that I mean, we all know this experience. You can't, you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, that's true in people. So one of the things that I've 
without names, I've instructed and, and talked to our kids when they were younger and as they hit the teen years and adult years, is just helping them have a category that God is concerned about the human heart. And sadly, some of the most wicked people I've interacted with over the years I've been a pastor have been very clean-cut, well-dressed, put-together, successful people that were monsters on the inside. And some of the kindest, most gentle people looked wild on the outside. Piercings, tattoos, all kinds of colorful pasts, and their hearts. They were hearts of gold because Jesus had saved them and forgiven them. And so we don't want to make a judgment based on appearance at all. And and that's what the Pharisees would do. They say, Jesus, why are you hanging out with those people? Why are you associating with those people? If you were a prophet, you would know who you're associating with. But they they, they missed the whole point that Jesus came to to rescue, to set free, to, to deal with guilt and shame. So let me give you a quick test. Critical judgment test. Are you quick to make sinful critical judgments based on how someone looks? Their appearance, what they're wearing, what they're not wearing, what, what's on their skin, what's not on their skin, what's on their face, what they look like, how they carry themselves. Are you able to see all humans, no matter what they look like on the outside, as first and foremost, image bearers of God, created in His image, having inherent value because God made them. When you make a critical judgment of someone, is there anger and self-righteousness in your heart? Would you be like the Pharisees if you were honest? If you saw people in the church interacting with certain people you, you can do the category, whatever makes you feel totally uncomfortable, and you saw them, would you think, oh, I bet they're, they're really trying to befriend and show the love of Christ to that person, or what are they doing with that group of people? See, this is a real thing. And Jesus, his kingdom is different. His, his followers are to be different. Here's, here's a description that happens in Matthew 9 that, that kind of gets a flavor of what I'm talking about. And Jesus reclined at the table of the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. You know, a lot of these guys were thieves. Um, they were wealthy. They've, they took money from their countrymen. Now listen to this. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And you can hear like the disdain. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the whole point Jesus wanted them to know is, I came to save, I came to rescue, I came to set people free. Earlier this morning while we were singing, Marcy shared this impression that that just the reality that if you can see the Lord, if you believe in the gospel and you have put your faith in Jesus, you didn't do that. That was a miraculous gift from 
the Holy Spirit that made you alive and born again. And so we have no room to boast. Now your sins might not be the sins of the tax collectors and the other people that Jesus was associated with, but they were still sins against a holy God that needed to be forgiven and paid for in order for you to enter a relationship with the Lord. And that's kind of the point of the Sermon on the Mount. It should humble us so that we, are, we have an accurate self-awareness and we have compassion towards others. Now Jesus is going to give a beautiful uh, illustration that's funny and gets the point across all at the same time. So here we go. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? So do you get the picture? To help us illustrate, if you're wondering why someone handed me a, a branch during worship, thank you, Ellie, um, is to illustrate a point. So I don't know if you guys can see this, but this is going to represent a speck. This is a little twig, and this is going to represent a log. And what Jesus is saying is when we are hypocritically self-righteous, when we are arrogant and blasting people, it's like I'm going to try to help somebody get a little speck out of their eye, but all the while, this is in my eye. So when I move towards them, I'm just whacking them in the head with this plank, this log, and I, I hear, let me get that for you. Oh man, you got a problem. And I keep hitting them in the head. And the, the problem is, the amazing thing about self-righteousness is the person doing it actually can't see the log at first. Totally blind to it. The self-righteousness, the arrogance, the pride blinds us to it. And so we just keep whacking people and we can't, we can't see it accurately and we can't help them either. Maybe one of the clearest biblical examples of this is in the story of King David when he commits adultery with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. If you remember the scene, uh, if you can look it up on your own, but it, it starts with, you know, at this time of year, everybody went out to battle. The kings went out to battle. But King David, what? Didn't go out to battle. He's on a rooftop. He knows this Bathsheba. He eventually commits adultery with her. She becomes pregnant. And then um, sin is compounding. He then arranges for her husband Uriah to go to the front of the battle line, and he's responsible for his death and for his murder. Well, eventually, as time elapses, she is now pregnant. He has committed adultery. He is responsible for the murder of Uriah, who was a God-fearing man, very noble man that you learn about in the, the story. But then what happens is God sends Nathan the prophet to confront King David. And the way he does it is clever. He tells a story um, of a situation, and he basically, I'm going to paraphrase it, but he basically says, you know, here's the situation. There was a rich man who had everything he wanted. He had access to everything. And there was a poor man who, who didn't have much, but he had one precious lamb. And the rich man decided that all that he had wasn't enough, and so he took the very thing that the poor man had, the very precious thing of him, that precious lamb, and took it as a, just yanked it, ripped it right out from underneath the poor man. And he's telling the story to Nathan, or Nathan's telling the story to David. And, and the Bible says as, as he's hearing this story, um, 
David, King David, his, his anger is building towards this man. Who is this man? How could this man do such an evil, wicked thing? And then there's this beautiful, classic, biblical text by Nathan. And he says to David, as a good friend, you're the man. You're the man in the story. You're the one who sinned against God and this family. David repents. David um, owns his sin and the Lord forgives him. But he was blind to it. He could hear a story that just raged him. All the while, this is sticking right out of the middle of his forehead and he can't even see it. We can be like that at times. We need to, to keep going back to God's word. Keep letting the Holy Spirit convict us. Keep repenting over and over again and, and going freshly to Jesus for mercy and forgiveness. So the question for us is, are we speck detectors? Is, is that what you are? If you're honest, you're just looking for this in your coworkers, in your neighbors, in your spouse, in your children, in your parents. You're so good at it. You, you do it with total strangers. I see it. Couldn't see it, but now I see it. I'm a speck detector. All the while, you can't see this. And you just keep running into people, and you're wondering, why does anybody want help from me? I, I seem so helpful. I know so much. Um, it's because of your heart. We've all been there. There will be moments where we're there. We'll be there again. And then you own it. Lord, help me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And he will. But if you're a speck detector, you need, to, you need to own it. Lord, please forgive me. Remind me of the mercy I've received. Help me to extend and show that mercy to others. I mean, another way to look at it, it's really the equivalent of telling somebody they have food on their face or a big piece of spinach in the middle of their teeth. And, and that's a nice thing to do. I mean, I want people to do that for me. You should want people to do that for you. But all the while, you have the same thing. You just can't see it. We need others to help us to see these things. Second point, disciples of Jesus must take an honest look at themselves before attempting to help others. So even in this passage, Jesus is encouraging us to help others. But listen to how he does it. There's an order to it. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, disciples of Jesus must take an honest look at themselves before attempting to help others. So you have God's word open, and this big thing's sticking out, and you're like, oh, I see it. Let me remove that. Let me turn from that. Let me leave that alone. And now, hey, I just want to tell you, I think you have something in your eye, something in your heart that just needs gentle adjustment that I'm telling you because I love you, not because I'm condemning you. And I want to help you. I want you to know freedom like I have experienced. And just so you know, at times I have these big, obvious areas in my own life that I need you to point out as well. Do you hear the difference if somebody does that for you? You're, you're much more likely to, one, help them, and, and really, they're more likely to welcome your help, kind of going forward. But it all comes down to 
if you really believe the gospel, there is no room for self-righteousness. See, if you are a Christian, the only reason you are a Christian is because you trust in God's provision. I mean, Jesus himself said in the Gospels, the work of God is this. What is it? To believe the one he has sent. To trust in God's provision for sin. The one who died on the cross, who was perfect, fully God, fully man, and rose on the third day. That's our hope. We don't save ourselves. Jesus saves us. And so that should produce humility in us. I want to read a longer story in the New Testament in Luke chapter 7. I want you to just use your imagination and picture these scenes as as I I read it to you. One of the Pharisees, one of the self-righteous Pharisees, asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. That's what I love about Jesus. He'll go, he'll go to anyone who's, who's open. So he'll go to the Pharisees. He'll go to the, the wicked. And in this case, two worlds are going to collide. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. She had a reputation. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and apparently was, was worth a lot of money. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, not out loud, if this man were a prophet, if he was really a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him. Now, remember, Simon the Pharisee didn't say this out loud, but he's Jesus. He's he's a prophet, but he's actually way more than a prophet. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So now he's going to tell a story, a parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Both greatly in debt. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And and I want you to hear it as Jesus loved her and freed her and forgave her. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. This is a woman who had an accurate self-awareness of her sins before the Lord, turned from them and turned to Jesus. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The point is, if you're a Christian, you should be like this woman. We have been forgiven much. Your your debt may be of the self-righteous 
trusting in moralism category, or it might be like this woman or far worse. You've done many bad things that you're ashamed of it and you that hounds you at times. Well, if that's you, in many ways that's me, you run to Jesus and believe he shed his blood not only to forgive you, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then God's spirit came inside of you and he made you new. And the old you has died and is dying. And the new you is being made into the image of Christ. That's the good news. And so when that happens, there's no room for a critical self-righteous judgment. Now the last verse in our section is among the most confusing in this section. And if you have any commentaries, you look this verse up online, you'll get a wide variety of opinions of what in the world this verse is talking about and where it fits in the context of the chapter. So I'm going to read the verse. I'm going to tell you what I think it is. uh, And then you can wrestle on your own and see if what I say is persuasive or um, you're more convinced of another perspective. If you're newer to the church, we want you all to be like Bereans in the book of Acts where you hear the word preached and you look at the Bible and see if the things that are taught are actually in the Bible. We want you to wrestle with the scriptures and not believe stuff just because we say it. So this would be a good example. You got some homework this week. Do not give dogs, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So, I think that this is connected to the verses we just looked at. And in chapter 7, I think there is a theme of judgment. You can look for yourself, but you'll see a bunch of different evidences of, of judgment. We're going to get to that difficult passage in a few weeks of um, not many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? And did we not do that in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And so there's this theme of judgment. So in that context, and in the context of self-righteousness, removing it, and then going and helping your brother, I think he's introducing a category that Proverbs talks about as well, which is there will be times when people do not want to hear the truth that you have to share. So you could have removed the log from your own eye. You're going in a spirit of humility, but you're tethered to the truth of God's word. This is some of the stuff we're going to talk about this summer at Equipped. And you go in and they don't want to, they don't want to hear anything you have to say. And this is what he says. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. New Testament language, dogs and pigs were common. Dogs were eating the scraps under the table. Seemed like they were just running wild. And the pigs were eating the slop. And saying, don't give what is holy and sacred and set apart to to those who just want the scraps. And don't give your pearls that are very valuable to those who want to just revel in in slop. Because they're going to turn on you. They, They will trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So I think essentially it seems that Jesus is saying to the subject, you got you to discern who to correct and when to correct them. Not all people are going to thank you. Not all people are going to appreciate your attempts at help. That doesn't mean you don't attempt, but there does come a time at times 
where it's much more effective to pray for them and entrust them to the Lord than to keep going at them and keep getting bitten like their piranhas. And so you need wisdom there. And the Bible provides wisdom. The book of Proverbs gives similar counsel. It says this in Proverbs 9. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And who, who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So I think, could be wrong, but I think in this context, he's addressing when and how to correct and, and giving some wise counsel for those who, who, who don't want to hear a word that you say. Now that can change. We serve a God who is big and powerful and mighty, and we want to ask him to move in power and might upon the hardest hearts. You think of the Apostle Paul, when he was referred to as Saul and he was hunting down Christians, he did not want to hear what any Christian had to say. And then Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and he was all ears. He heard the voice of Jesus himself and he was blind for a few days. And that hard, dead, spiritual heart was made alive. And so that's what you pray. So we want to even have, and this is where in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us good advice. We, we want to love our enemies. We want to pray for those who persecute us. We want, this is all about our heart's disposition. A disciple of Jesus should be different than the world. When reviled, we don't revile back. When spewed on, we don't spew back. We show love and the love that we have received. And this is supernatural. It's a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. I want to close with these words from, or this description from Matthew 9. And this is the heart that Jesus wants us to have. This is the heart that he demonstrated. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. Now, make this your prayer. If we have a church that believes and praise, verse 36, boy, will we impact the world for the Lord. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now, when you picture the crowds in the Bible, I don't know what you picture, but don't picture people that are just patiently, kindly waiting in line. Uh, oh, there's Jesus. I heard he heals people. If I wait my turn, he'll heal me too. No, these are needy, desperate, some very vile people that are probably pushing and, and shoving at times and trying to get their way to the front of the line. And probably some of them are just foul in their speech and their language and they, they are thinking of themselves and not the others. And so it's a loud, messy crowd at times. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So sheep without a shepherd, they're, they're lost. They're, they're making lots of noise. They might be biting each other. They might be wandering away. He sees them, and he has compassion. And he wants us to do the same. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We have a, a work 
labor issue. We're, we're short on the workers. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. See, we're not to be critical. We're not to be self-righteous. We receive mercy. We're to, to help each other with the mercy that we received. So let me pray. You guys can all stand and we'll have the band come up. Jesus, thank you for the clarity of your words. Holy Spirit, thank you for preserving these words in Scripture. Lord, for those of us who are speck detectors, help us to own that and turn from it and experience freedom. And Lord, as we sing this final song, may every single person be reminded of the grace of God displayed in Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, may we be humble and courageous. May we firmly hold to the truth in a compassionate way. May we win many, many, many people in this region for, for your glory, for your name, for your fame. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.